Hello, adventurers. I want to take a moment to tell you that all our content can now be found uninterrupted and commercial-free on Apollo Plus. Apollo Plus is a subscription-based service that enhances your audio fiction experience with ad-free access to your favorite shows and exclusive content, while at the same time supporting us all as creators to keep bringing you quality content. Please take a moment to check out Apollo Plus at apollopods.com or download the app in your Google or Apple app stores. Again, that's Apollo Plus, your new home for quality audio fiction. Hello again, adventurers. It's me, Cordelia Shieldheart. This episode was made possible by our supporters and Patreons, J.D. Rose, Daniel Nichols, Haley Munoz, Brian Dowling, Storm Cone, and Jolene Frescas. You can also help support the show by joining us at patreon.com slash Theater, Or, even better yet, by telling a friend to check out the show. Last season ended with us retaking Garnet Keep, where we Shieldhearts were born. And a great celebration took place. But there's a dark storm waiting to the south. They can't avoid for too much longer. And that storm is the Dark Army. Dollar Dragons, Season 4, Episode 1 The Plan. ancient mead hall that stood during the time of Benedict's father echoed with voices of merriment once again. The heroes had returned to the halls of Garnet Keep. Over the following week, we rebuilt what we could to make the keep livable, and tonight was a time to celebrate. While everyone joyfully carried on throughout the night, we, the party of adventurers, met in the war room. When I entered the room, I noticed my armor dancing gold in the candlelight. Elaviv entered behind me, dressed in leather armor emblazoned with the sword and crown befitting a decorated scout archer. She was with a young woman from the ranks of our forces, a mage if I remember right. Also a fellow elf from the Silver Maple Woods in the north of Trull, where Vix was from, if memory serves as well. It has come to our attention, my friends, that we must infiltrate Enruk, the City of Doom, I turned to our new guest. Isanatha looked at us all carefully as she took in a deep breath and closed her eyes. In the... In the south of Troll is a... <clears throat> Excuse me? Do I bore you? Whoa. You haven't even started yet. But I'm laying money on it. Figures. Of course you would. Money is everything, am I right? You and the rest of your kind only care about yourselves and staying out of the way of progress. Tell me, Erelyn, where have you been? Wait a moment, Isanatha. Is that really necessary to- It! <sighs> you are right, Cordelia. My apologies. These weren't her enemies, she reminded herself, as she continued to slowly let her blood cool, pointing at a small dot on the map at the southern tip 
of the Garnet Mountains where they met the sea. She smiled slightly, realizing she must tell them everything, at least as much as she knew, which may free her of the burden, then finally closed her eyes, resolute and calm. This happened many years ago in the city known as Enruk. Enruk is surrounded by two volcanoes and is known for its pits, gladiator pits. Yes, their beloved blood pits. But more importantly, I know of some allies currently imprisoned there who can help us. (laughs) And who exactly would help us? I know for a fact all the prisoners there are doomed to meet the same fate. Death in the pits. You see, they would be dead by now. This is pointless. Isonathos, fists clenched into balls, seen the former officer of the Dark Army. She still wasn't at ease with her presence. Then drawing a breath, she continued. You may have known much as a commander of Decion's dead army, but I fear you did not know everything. Dabria, we must assume nothing and investigate. If I didn't know better, something in those words confused Dabria. Azar's stone-cold visage quaked slightly, not as much as what took place next. She's right. There were many things kept from us, my sister. My guide tells me much of their love for secrets. <laughs> Luna stood leaning on her spear, as if it were a now a staff. The dark hood of her robes cloaked her scarred face in shadow, frozen save for the tremble of a single corner of her mouth. Her eyes opened wide, staring into the fireplace. The smell of the ash and pine burning seemed to dull in that moment. I'm... I'm being told we must return to the Doom City. It is key to his unraveling. Dachyons? Yes, the dead lord himself, and Zorin's father. Zorin didn't look up, but I felt his body tense at the mention of his hated father, the one who had selfishly destroyed so many lives. We must seek the truth, the truth beneath the temple. Well, that's all I need to know. When do we leave? Isonatha, you have a plan for this? Yes. Thank you, Sophie. We must divide into two groups. One group will travel south along the Garnet Mountains towards the sea and through the North Pass. The other will first sail out of Whitford around Troll itself and into the bay. I will lead the group coming into the North Pass and we will proceed to the temple, for we believe it is somewhere beneath where the prisoners are being held. The other party, a much smaller party, will dress like human mercenaries and infiltrate to find out if there is any chance for driving a rebellion. I know the temple. I served much time within its walls when we were training. This is good. You and I will be together in this then. She looked at Erlen. I can only hope you won't be as selfish as I think you are. But I need to trust you to help them. Again, this is to give you a chance for redemption. I want you to help lead the smaller party, coming in by ship, since yourself and Zorin 
don't know the sea so well. Of course we do. Consider it... Not to mention your skill at deception. (sighs) Zoran, no one knows your father like you do. You should go with Erelyn, but you will need a guide. Dabria, one of his most trusted commanders, will do nicely. You will also need a light in the darkness to go with you. I recommend Benedict. And with us, Skodmir and Sophie will be our defenders. At that moment, I looked around for Benedict and remembered he was in his prayers. Uh, Maybe it's best I tell him about the change in his armor. He may not take it so well. Later that evening, the party went to the armory to outfit and get more equipment. As Zorn was browsing, I saw Benedict enter the armory to see where he could help or assist with the various gathered equipment and weapons. An interesting approach as I think he was having issues actually accepting his role there. (laughs) I suppose all the more reason he needed to go on this mission. His heart wasn't ready to just leave. He needed to affect it directly. My lord! What, what are you in here for? I wish to simply help, not purchase. Benedict was eyeing some of the damaged and bent longswords in a pile in the corner. It was then that I went to him. Benedict, there's something I wish to tell you about your upcoming adventure. You will need to wear a disguise. What? Son, you must change out of your treasures and accepted armor into a set of, well, it's only a disguise, of sorts. You must dress like an evil officer of the Dark Army. He stared at me, thinking. I knew he wouldn't like it. I hate this idea, Keldor. But it makes sense if we are infiltrating. Night Lord will forgive your fashion choices, I'm sure, Benedict. Despite what you may have heard, clothes rarely make the person. It is weighed only on your actions. Yes. I will accept this as just another challenge. Kill No problem for me. Now, uh, I would like to ask you, good sir, if you wouldn't mind me... Uh, Throwing some hot steel around? I uh, do miss the craft. Of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, step right up, my lord. Orvana was in the garden, looking up at the stars and humming an old traveler's tune. She loved the moon and stars. And it was nice to have something this peaceful to look at. Elaviv approached gracefully, like a soft wind in the night air. Lorvana walked through the poorly maintained garden beds toward the old tree. She smiled as the moonlight danced on her old trusted lute. As she walked, she absentmindedly twisted it slightly to catch the blue-white glow of the moon 
stars across the bronze and sinew strings. The deep cherry wood created a violet tone in gentle waves across the fretboard. Elaviv sat on the exposed roots of the ancient tree, smiling at her little song. She toyed with the silver horsehead cuff, adorning one pointed ear. Oh! Oh, don't stop because of me. I truly enjoy that tune. Really? Oh, uh, excuse me, uh, Jade, um, I really wanted to tell you. Truth be told, she was enamored with the strong elf woman. She was a living legend and was one she could actually talk to. You uh, are just amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You are amazing too, Lorvana. Thank you for all that you've done. If it wasn't for you, I may have never found my way back. Sit here with me a moment, please. Oh, yes, of course. Elaviv smiled as Lorvana climbed up the short route, although a decent seat for those of Elaviv's height. It was a bit out of the way for Lorvana's three-and-a-half-foot stature. <laughs> she offered a hand and then placed it on her shoulder gently. Little one, I have a present for you. First is this gem. If you hold it up at the light just right, it can show the edge of most secrets. There. See over there? The wall? <gasps> oh, I, I see letters. Or, or something. Blue ones. That's it. It's the words of magic. Old magic. But still serves its purpose. And then there's this. This arrow has been part of my quiver for many years, and it now reminds me of you. Wow. She produced an arrow made from a rose's thorny stem, but straight and true. The arrow's head was more like a blade, one, Lorvana remarked, that hook back almost like a glaive on one side, but perfectly balanced on the other with a swooping point. The fletching was black with purple tips from some magical and unknown bird. Come on, just... What? Oh, new leather, always such a pain. Where's some water? <laughs> well, I better give him a hand. Thank you, Jade. I love it. I'm glad you do. We'll hold your quarry in place with thorny vines. At least for a moment. Good luck tomorrow. Jade. Elaviv. And walked to Zoran, who was looking over some of his new weapons. She could tell by the look on his face. He was picturing how they would look buried in his hated father, Lord Pallas. I hope you find closure, Zoran. That's different. Looking at the new rapier in his hand. Me too. Uh, oh, you mean this? Well, it's, uh, not as balanced as I'd like, and the blade has way too much flex for my liking. It's it's not like her. Her? Oh, oh, (laughs) I do. There, There was just a sword I thought I'd held once that would... Never mind. It. This'll do. No, this'll do. Just fine. 
he remained focused on the outstretched, sharpened tip of the steel blade, imagining a look of surprise, or better yet, fear, at the other end. She gently turned his chin. He remembered her doing this when Zane and he would need instruction. He could smell the flowers and honey that always seemed to follow her, and the embroidered vines on the glove pressed gently to his face. Be calm, though. Don't let impatience and hatred take the best of you away. I always viewed you as my son. And I always will. You've always been there for me. He wrapped her in a big hug, his pulse slowing in her arms. His vision became more clear as the feelings of anger slowly melted away, and he regained control. Thanks for being you. Benedict walked the stone wall circling the keep. He noted how he was reversing the steps he took when he first came to the stairs. Peering down, he remembered telling Una and the others to go to the front. That's now where he was heading. To the front. The front that overlooked the great canyon below. Though the rubble and filth had been cleaned up over the last week, he looked back at the broken walls and its jagged scars. Windows that were broken were now being replaced by the glass workers and blacksmiths. Masons cut new bricks and stone to replace the old and broken ones. The misguard barricades that were made of skulls and furs had been either burned, melted down for repurpose, or thrown over the side of the long stone bridge, falling a thousand feet to splash silently in the river below. Benedict helped by overseeing the design and rebuild of the keep. He oversaw the development of the room's design in the main keep itself and the barracks. He rebuilt the smithy and began rebuilding the chapel, the chapel to the night lord. The stables were patched up first and our horses were grateful. As he walked, he noted there was still so much to do. Standing by the left forward ballista, stood a single figure. She was staring at a point into the distance northward, looking past the bridge to the large meadow on the other side known as Bear Trap. From here she could see where the path disappeared down the far side of the mountain. And then in the far distance the rolling foothills gave way to the vast Glen Valley. Hello, Mother. Good morning. How are you? She turned towards him, the cool wind catching her gold and silver hair gently in the breeze. It was now cropped at the shoulder, the way she always wore it, at least how Zane would describe her to him. Her armor was polished now, and a white tunic of a knight major adorned her chest, three red stripes. She was the one in charge, and given what she had been through, no one questioned it. 
Her trusted advisors were myself and Elviv, and the collected input of the keep itself. In her hand, the familiar tall, magical glaive stood polished. We could make out the name Tempest across the oiled hardwood pole. Her blue eyes smiled in the red gold of the dawn sunlight. She lingered there for a moment, a moment longer than what would normally be comfortable, taking in that moment of thankfulness for what it truly was. Good morning, my son. You've done much in this week. Has it only been a week? It feels like... A lifetime for me. A life that you returned to me. I can never thank you enough. Your memory kept me alive until you returned to me. Thank you. I I wanted to... uh... I wanted to tell you that I, I can't stay right now. That. You are a knight now. Some two warriors. Two warriors, I might add, that made their own path. Two warriors who never said goodbye. Not even. She stopped herself for a moment, thinking of seeing her beloved's body on those steps. Lifeless. She winced slightly. I didn't mean to. No. This is good, Benedict. Now I can truly grieve. And where I thought I lost everything, I found you. She turned back to him, placed her hand gently on her son's cheek. My angel. gently pulled her face into his shoulder. I miss you. ride together southeast about a fortnight until we reach the fork to Whitford, and there we will part ways. Zorn, are you familiar with the Black's Gifts? Fastest ships in the world, from what I've heard. They were the ones that would take our supplies out of Whitford to Inrook in a matter of days. The shallow reefs south of the old country wouldn't allow the larger frigates and merchantmen I sailed on to travel. Why not just use them instead to begin with? You can, but they become a leaf drifting on the ocean, violently tossed and retossed until they were nothing but toothpicks and drowned dead. Well, make it your goal, Dabria, to bring my brothers back safe. Fine. You do the same for my sister. <laughs> we watched them all mount. Elaviv, Ilona, and I. 
little Lorvana handed Ilona a small purple flower and giggled slightly as she mounted a small pony alongside Scottmere. <coughs> Ilona whoa, smiled whoa. and nodded at the barn as I addressed these brave adventurers. Godspeed, my friend. We'll expect to see you return with the next move. Something struck Benedict as he looked at everyone in that moment, and suddenly he understood. Actually, Cordelia, we don't say goodbye. Elaviv, Alona, and myself looked at each other. Three remaining members of the Six Wings, and we smiled. On the third day, Una and Dabria parted ways. The harsh heat on the road in that noon hour helped kick up the dust in the muggy road. You didn't seem to notice, though. They solemnly nodded at each other before Dabria snapped in. Erolyn, Zorn, and Benedict, let's go. They all parted. Sophie knew something was about to change. And some of them were not meant to come back the same. Another week's journey passed as Una and Isanatha led Cordelia, Sophie, Scottmere, and Lorvana deep into the violent hills of Southwest Troll. Grasses were dry and smelled of dust and sour springs. Scottmere made mention of the Garnet Mountains as they headed beyond their hidden passes. His voice was soft and reverent. These are the halls of my ancestors. They always seem so solemn and lonely. Una, those dark clouds. Yes, that's where we will go. Climb up. Up, up, into the mountains, into the storm. Is it, is it rain? No. Fire. Dabria stood on the deck black-sailed ship with her companions. Sleek and streamlined. The Minotaur captain grinned menacingly as he held the helm steady with a stone-solid and gray muscular arm. He saw the dark clouds thickening on the horizon. Hmm. <laughs> In three hours and a turn, we'll be making port. Best make your preparations. Hey! Fast and check her weight! Aye, aye, Captain. She's running shallow and smooth. Good! Let's bring her home, then. He pointed to the forming roots of the great volcanoes at the foot of the Garnet Mountains. Gradually they grew as they approached on the speedy craft. She turned to Benedict 
was dressed as a human officer of Squibb's army. The uniform was collected from the Celestine Tower's dead, she assumed. Zorin and Erlin, on the other hand, looked like low-ranking mercenaries. She had seen hundreds of their kind, and they should also go unnoticed here. Even the tall Erlin was enough of a cold-blooded individual to pass his elven blood through. Elves were less common than even halflings as mercenaries for whatever reason. Enric is a cesspool of the world's forgotten and forlorn. Those that walk the twilight between life and death thrive here. <laughs> Before Palace came, it was ruled by kobolds who traded with the local orc tribe to the east, some dwarves to the north, and the mysterious Chikarans to the west. When Pallas came, he taught them to no longer be simple kobolds by showing them how to thrive in commerce. She hesitated for a moment, thinking of Sharptooth. They began to view him as a savior, one who promised to lead them into a new and wealthy future. Maldros the Dark brought fighters from the Bloodwood to train here, and they opened up their own arena. Zane spoke of the pits in Bloodwood. Were these... Worse. Much worse. In Bloodwood, even occupied Bloodwood, there is bureaucracy from the fighters and the trainers that even Maldros himself couldn't completely overcome. Here, he had thousands of bloodthirsty volunteers. Or those willing to do the unspeakable to turn a profit. Sacrificing them to the sport answered his dreams. Soon the blood pits came to rival any other, standing as the most impressive arena in the world, built on the shoulders of dead gladiators he committed to the blood-stained banner of entertainment. She turned her gaze out over the ocean, where in the distance, a deep gray haze lie on the horizon. Unclenching her fist slowly, she took a breath and continued. During the day, a small amount of sunlight filtered reddish-brown by the heavy clouds, illuminated the city with a, a certain twilight, which doesn't change much once night falls. The city itself is a sprawling slum featuring two major buildings, the arena and the temple. There are now a few rough taverns and inns that treat the officers and his great lordship quite well. It is recommended that you all <laughs> watch your backs. This town is more than rough. It is evil. <laughs> and... Benedict coughed with the smell of sulfur assaulted his nose and burning sensations back into his throat. She smiled crookedly gold eyes cutting through thickening haze. <laughs> mm, mm. It is also what I called home. Appearing in this episode, 
Benedict Shieldheart, Brian Dowling, Una, Becky Atchley, Elaviv Hawklight, Jessica Atchley, Lorvana Birdsong, Cara Danvers, Dabria, J.D. Rose, Cordelia Shieldheart, Jolene Fresquez, Ilona the Fair, Leslie Beckman, Erilyn, Jordan Thompson, The Armorer and the Minotaur Captain, Matthew Bianchi, and I am Mike Atchley, the voice of Keldor and your narrator on this journey. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Geist Tower Theater's Dawn of Dragons. Please join us in thanking our magnificent cast for their performance. Their full cast list can be found in the show notes. If you'd like a sticker from the show, please leave a review on any podcasting platform and send a screenshot to dm at dicetowertheater.com with the mailing address that we can send it to. In the next episode, what evils await us in the ancient city of fire, home to the Dark Army? Until then, dear adventurers, stay safe and remember the oath. 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 Welcome to town. You are essentially the one-woman band running Water's Edge Weekly. Maybe being in Water's Edge will be different. You're not exactly as strange as the rest of us. You're not a cryptid, are you? Excuse me? We're cryptids, not monsters. There are dangerous things out here. If the residents heard about this, there would be panic. This cannot be real. You can trust us. We have something you might be interested in. I'll see you around. Don't forget your recorder. Cryptid Cape is a fictional podcast about Avra Nunez, a young woman looking for a new start. In the beach town full of interesting residents she ends up calling home there are three seasons out now and more in the works that you can find wherever you get your podcasts